Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day, everyone. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Colick, your host, the gatekeeper around the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. New England's own Van Helsing with me is the star of the UK, the gold standard in ghost hunting, the god of infrasound, Stephen Pasts. Buonasera. Buenas noches. Buenas, whatever the other one is. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You are. Anyway, moving along. So uh, you were busy. You went to this uh, ASAP conference. The Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena. How many scientific study really happens? Uh, Good (laughs) question. Uh, But they held their annual conference called Seriously Strange in in Bath, England, with the old Roman um, spa town. Attendees included... And Dr. Anne Winsper, Dr. Cal Cooper, Professor Chris French, um, a whole host of uh, interesting, uh, the, uh, one of the, uh, she used to work at the London uh, Black Museum, the Crime Museum, uh, Scotland mm. Yard. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, very interesting lineup of speakers. Mm. And, Sounds uh, really good, actually. It, I think you'd have enjoyed it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know. And, of course, me, yeah. which you may not have enjoyed. I would always enjoy your company. And I, yeah, and because this year I'm on the executive as the training officer, I got the job of emceeing the, uh, the Saturday. Uh-huh. The speakers and uh, filling in the gaps in um, the technical issues, of which there are a couple, there always is. Mm-hmm. Um, so sort of filling in the dead air. Uh, I imagine it's amazing that you can do that, you know, because you're such a shy person. I am. I'm, I'm well, you know, I've got this weekend coming up, so it was good practice. Um, with the father of the bride speech, I've got to do this weekend. Um, uh, nothing, and uh, nothing written, uh, just gonna wing it. Could be a mistake. You can ask me next nah, week. I doubt it. I doubt it. Well, you know, I mean, I'm unaccustomed to public speaking, so. Yeah. I'll just wing it and see how we go. Sure, there you go. Any royalty going to be there? My daughter. Ah, very good. Good answer. I think she's Any a princess. points for the minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, and then uh, we turned on Sunday um we're in the middle of a heat wave, a strange autumnal heat wave here in the UK. That's true. So the temperatures here are just tickling the 90s. So uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, we took the boys out to the beach and uh, out to the, you know, so they could do some swimming because this has been a very cool summer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they were making the most of the the late fall weather heat wave, tropical yeah. heat wave apparently. Yeah, it's been very very hot and humid here for the last few days. Um, I think tomorrow is supposed to be close to a hundred. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not. Con- well, it could be a degree or two cold cooler for the wedding. Um, you know. Mm-hmm might get a trifle uncomfortable because they're forecasting Saturday to be the hottest day of the year. So that could be just a tad too warm for us Brits. Where Um, is the wedding? It's up in Liverpool, um, in in Liverpool City uh, Uh, Is it, you know, outside, inside? I, do you know, honestly, I don't know. Uh, know Ah, You sound like me now when I did my sense. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what time it is. I have no idea. Yeah, my job is just to turn up and do what I'm told, basically. So I've been told. Um, so in the meantime, apart from those things, I submitted the my paper for the SPR conference, which is in November this year. Hmm. So I haven't, you know, been busy, been busy. Good boy. So what was your talk on in the uh, ESA? Whatever that was. Well, actually, it was it was on the and it's similar for the SPR. Uh, it's really on the importance of training investigators, because there are, you know, I think, in the UK, there's there's if we take if we if we throw in the ufologists and the cryptozoologists, there's around about twenty twenty five thousand in the UK, mm-hmm. um, and probably a similar number per capita in the USA. So. 100,000, maybe 150,000 people. That's a lot. And, and, you know, there are many, many different takes on the subject. You've got believers, non-believers. You've got the out-and-out skeptics. You've got those who sit sit on the fence. And that that gives rise to countless different methods, techniques. You know, you've got them drawn from the science room, from the sci labs of academia, um, melded together in some sort of weird mix of performance art, pseudoscience and quasi-religion. And what we really need, I mean, it was identified back in 1848 by Catherine Crow, who said what science, you know, science needs to apply a, a methodical and rigorous scrutiny of these questions and problems mm-hmm. instead of uh, the current situation. Um, which is probably worse than in 1848 because they didn't have Facebook. Yeah, I, uh, so you know, it, it, I, I think it's standardization. Yeah, basically. I was going to say the the importance of training is, I mean, it's really not regulation. Because, uh, regulation, whatever. But uh, it depends. I mean, how can you regulate something that's exactly? So, I mean, there so is no diverse. regulation, but ASAP have since 1981 they were formed in 1981 they've had a training program that accredits its own investigators um so if somebody phoned asap or contacted asap and said help my house is haunted or i've seen aliens or i've seen the loch ness monster i see dead people um they know that they would be getting an investigator of a particular standard and that the investigation would be carried out in a particular way. But interestingly, the SPR, which was founded back in 1882, doesn't and never has. What it relies upon 
entirely is the goodwill of um, interested members. To, so there is no require there is no um, auditing of who goes. You know, it's a case of well, I'll do it, or they'll do it. Uh, there is no checking. There's no auditing. There is there's no um, pre vetting of the level of competency or expertise, uh, which I find a bit odd, to be honest with you. Mm. Which is yeah, what I was saying. Of the, what, of the two, you think that would be the. You would. You, you absolutely yeah. would. And that's what I'll be saying in November at the SPR conference. So I think the SPR should introduce um, a similar training regime to ASAP. Now, training is so important because I, I want to, I mean, I just did two investigations. Yeah, CSI. Uh, yeah but I, I'm just, I want to talk about, I did two investigations, one uh, two weeks ago and one last Friday. And both of them, to me, were very disappointing to myself because on um, the first one I was shorthanded, I brought a couple of volunteers on it. And quite frankly, it wasn't the invest. I mean, the place was interesting and all that, but the investigation in my status was very poor. Uh, the second one uh, turned out to be more of a public event than a, the investigation. When you have so many other people around, it makes it difficult to do your own proper procedures and everything and uh that's what happens when there are distractions uh you know i know like just for instance one camera was set up wrong so we had uh video the whole day of nothing because there was no power to the camera but the training is so important and if you get away from it and don't go back to the regiment of doing it properly then you get poor results and, and uh so I, I understand what you're saying, Steve, and I, I give you kudos for that because I think that's extremely important. But the, I, I think part of the problem is also the fact that, um, you know, a lot of investigators are, I mean, they're fairly resilient to any form of offers of help. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they see it as meddling in what they know they do best. You know, they, well, why am I going to pay you 200 bucks when, you know, I can book three three visits to Spooky Mansion or buy uh, the, the latest piece of ghost tech? And besides which, I've been doing this for 10 years and we've got some amazing results. So what can you yeah. expect? Um, so there is that, there is that, but I'm, we can't, we can't ever deal with that. So. But what it does genuinely surprise me, it has done for a number of years, and it's a point I've raised before, um, that an organisation such as the SPR is is relatively haphazard in the way it investigates. Um, I mean, a lot of them are well qualified in academic pursuits. You know, you've got very, very um, uh, qualified people, but there isn't a ghost hunting or, or spontaneous case investigation is isn't really reliant upon qualifications so much as skill and knowledge you know i remember when i worked for in the oil industry and we had uh, an engineer came out from holland um you know very very qualified uh, skilled engineer and one of the first questions when they arrived on the uh, plant was how do you turn the valve on? Huh. 
Now, we all know of that. I mean, it's a big tap. How do you turn a tap, force it on and off? Mm-hmm. You know, it's that sort of... So these people, they go along and we've... I just find it surprising that the SPR has never really considered that to be important. Isn't that because, like, the founding fathers really never did it? I mean, you know, they just... Oh, they did. They absolutely They just did, did their thing, you know, and, well, and because, well we thing. know, so we did it. And that's the kind of philosophy that's carried on. I, I think I think you're probably right. But, I mean, they did a lot of haunted house investigations. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the methodology they used, they were actually pretty practically based. They didn't have the distractions that we have of equipment or large groups of people, generally speaking. There was only two, perhaps one or two of them. Um, and they didn't have the video cameras and the cat toys and the radios and the all of the other uh, gadgetry and paraphernalia of modern investigating. But nevertheless, they were there and they were observing. And, you know, I mean, that ticks the first two criteria. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a great idea that that we get back to proper training of of, it. I I, I mean, I'm not calling for regulation or standardization, but... If you're a member of ASAP and you're interested in these things, ASAP, of course, does get contacted regularly three, four times a week with people wanting some advice, assistance, guidance, investigation. And, you know, the, uh, if, you, if, you, if you're a member of that organization, um, you cannot go. You simply will not be sent until you have demonstrated that you are of uh, good, you know, soundness of judgment and soundness of ability. So how do they judge that? Well, we have a training program that incorporates assessments. So you do have a training program? ASAP does, not the SPR. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. No, I just, I missed Now, it. if you go to the SPR and say, you know, hey, I've got this, uh, I want advice, guidance, you will likely get a reply from someone who is extremely well qualified, but not necessarily in in a practical way. Mm-hmm. So they might be able to talk to you endlessly about psychology. They might be able to talk to you endlessly about a whole range of academic pursuits, but they've never set foot in a haunted environment, a haunted house where you need to draw upon some of those skill sets like psychology and sociology and physics and engineering and environmental monitoring. But you also, you have to, you know, it's very different than working in a scilab in academia where you can control every variable. And as you you said in your investigations, they can get pretty chaotic. Mm-hmm. And a good investigator, will, you know, should be able to extract some data from those situations. May not be as good a data as they would ordinarily hope to get, but nevertheless, you know, but, yeah, you can extrapolate some, but you are missing on much more that could have been attempted. Well, of course, I mean, and that comes down to getting everybody in the team on side singing from the same hymn book. Mm-hmm. And, of course, with ASAP, you know that all of your team have gone through the same training package. And you need and a clear, you need a clear 
uh, chain of command as well. There is a ch- there is also that as well, and, and uh, there are two tiers of training within ASAP. Um, so you have those who have done both tiers of training, and they will always take charge and responsibility. Um, and beneath them is those who have done or are working their way through the tiers and have only done one tier of training at that point, and they will provide the bulk of the investigation group. Makes sense. But at least you know everybody has acquired a basic standard. Or right, they won't so be like there, you said, you're all preaching there. from the same hymn book. Yeah, or they wouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean to say that you can't have people with different beliefs. Uh, you you can, you know, it's the methodology that you're teaching. You're not teaching, you're not forcing anybody to subscribe to your beliefs or change their beliefs. What you're saying is, in order to do this scientifically, this is what we, this is how we will approach it. And so everybody knows that's the method that ASAP use. Yeah, makes sense. Absolutely sense. Now I know in your your book Ghostology, and I, I assume in your your course as well that goes with it, is that you don't uh, really preach uh, one particular belief or anything. You just say how to investigate versus um, you know what you really believe in, kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, it's more of a here are some things that we know from experience will work. And here are some things we know from experience are less successful. And here are some that just plain don't work. Um, But the individual groups themselves have to build. So you kind of give people the the building blocks. Um, Think Lego. Now, a box of Lego bricks, you can make any number of things. And it's down to the team themselves to, they know their individ, the, the individual members of the teams and the dynamic and, you know, who wants to be a leader and who wants to take charge of the technical side of things and who wants to. So the group dynamic is down to the teams. Um, what Ghostology says is, these are good methods, proven methods, and these are less reliable methods, and these are just downright silly. Mm-hmm. What people do with that, though, that's their decision. I, you know, I don't impose anything, and I don't think that's right to. Um, you know, it, it's you can't go to a group of people and say, from now on, you will do this. You, you can't regulate people like that. It, it just doesn't work. No, they've just become resentful. You you talked about the asset confidence. You talked about uh, you know Ann Wensper being there and, and yourself mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Cal Cooper and Chris French, who are I would think different mindsets. Yeah. Uh, do they respect each other? Do they get along? Oh, absolutely. No, no. I mean, you know. Um, when, when we're not in front of an audience, you know, we're all friends. Um, indeed, uh, one of, so as well as emceeing and giving a talk, I was also doing my annual job, which is I normally host the panel discussion. And on the panel, we had Chris French, uh, Dr. Winsper, 
we had a historian, a folklorist, and uh, a physics um, major, um, who's also the editor of Christian Parapsychologist magazine. So we have a good mix, and it, it sparks, you know, the audience throw out the questions or make their points, and it's a good time for, because conferences can be a little dull. You know, you sit there and listen to people talking about their pet subject and selling you their book or selling you their ideas. Um, but with the panel discussion, you can say your point or you can question their points. Mm-hmm. And it can spark some some really interesting debates. And Chris French and Anne didn't agree um, on a number of points. And, you know, they both fought their corner politely with one another and then afterwards retired to the bar for a drink. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's good natured. You fight your corner, but you, you respect your opponent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We need to get Chris Spencer on the show, by the way. I, I still would I'm like sure, to. I'm sure we could do that. Yeah. I just for it's So would you consider Chris French the Joe Nickel of the UK? No, no. No, not at all. Um Chris in fact it's interesting, Chris said at the conference, in his early days he started out as a believer. Then he became a very hardline skeptic and became the editor of Skeptic Magazine and was a mouthpiece of scepticism. But now he's come up to retiring age and has now left Goldsmiths. He's looking back and reviewing um, his career. And he says that whilst he's still sceptical, he's more, much more receptive to the possibilities so open-minded skeptic i think would be the the conventional right which is which is really i mean that's most people who investigate should be open-minded should be uh you know know, science works by trying to prove itself wrong Mm -hmm. and i mean i use some of chris's uh videos and stuff in in my talks because they're they do prove valid points mm-hmm. as chris said you know he he can readily accept the idea of a spontaneous phenomena um with that just randomly happens to some you know some people may experience it entirely randomly and out of their control but what he he, he has great trouble with is these people who come up and say i can leave my body I can talk to dead people on demand. I can do this. I can douse for water, oil, gold, whatever. Because whenever they're tested, they fail. And he said, he does not believe that... According to him. Well, he's done a lot of tests. But his take is that, yes, these phenomena may exist, but they are way outside of the control of individuals um, who stand up and say... I can do this. I can switch this power on and off at will. Mm-hmm. I get it. So in, in that group, uh, you know, see, uh, clock, Arthur Clark, uh, mm-hmm. how would you stick him? How would you, uh, what's the word I'm looking for to uh, describe him, uh, his philosophy? 
I, I think he was, I would like to think, uh, having read his books, I mean, in essence, he was, he was um, technology, uh, what do they call them now? Uh, they try to predict, uh, in fact, some companies actually employ them now. They try to foresee what will happen, what the markets will be, what the technology will be in five, 10, oh, right, right. 50 years. Um, I it. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a lot of companies do employ them. Mm. Um, I think he, you know, I think when it comes to the paranormal, he does seem to, in his writings, books, and media. I mean, I've never met, I've never had the privilege of meeting him, but he does seem to be inclined to believe. Yeah, but, but he, only, he always that, he always showed several sides of the same story. Well, that's that's objective uh, evaluation, and right, I think that's, that's the, but the property I mean, actually. My impression of him and the way he portrayed the events is that I think he was inclined to believe or wanted okay. to believe. Mm-hmm. But as I say, that's only the impression gained from his writing or, or his media um, appearances. I mean, he I've made his fortune in, in science and technology. He did, he did. Um, you know, always uh, used to promote himself as the the uh, inventor of the communication satellite. Mm-hmm. He, he never built one, of course. Um, but, you know, <laughs> not personally. He, no, not personally, but, you know, he was the one who envisaged it 40 years before they actually happened. But then so did Tesla. You know, Tesla was another interesting character because... If you read some of his book, you could yeah, some of his uh, biographies or writings, and you see uh, him describing the technology in the coming century. So he was talking about the twentieth century at the start of the you know, the the beginning of uh, the twentieth century. He's talking about man having an ability to talk to anybody else on the planet just by picking up a device and speaking. Well, we've got to without talk to- wires. The producer has been talking to me and saying we've got to wrap it up because we're going to break right now. So anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parson and Ryan Kolick right here on Tojanet, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Logo, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Become a member and help... Uh, Bring these shows basically to you and uh, also check out indieghostproject.com and spirit quest which is coming up at the end of the month so we'll be right back in a few seconds uh with more of this and i have actually another question that i do want to mention as well so we'll be right back Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? 
With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk gobbledygooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Bear X family. And as the cat stares into the corner of the room, welcome back to the second half of the first half of tonight's two hours. No, it could be paranormal. I know. Why did they do that? Just to test you. Huh? Actually, no. it's because there's a, there's a house spider up in the corner of the room. Now that does it, yeah. Okay. And they are remarkably good at finding house spiders. Mm. But anyway. There we go. Yeah. So I... You know, I listened to your lineup at uh, ASAP, and, you know, I noticed that UFOs seem to be the rage now. They're really, if you look at the news feeds now, you see a lot of, I do anyway, see a lot of uh, stuff or, you know, mysterious structure found underneath the dark side of the moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, first man, uh, alien pro- uh, objects found on Earth, yada, 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 yada. Were you lacking that for a reason, or uh, was there not interest in it, or do you find that as a separate field altogether? Um, it comes under the ASAP umbrella, and there are mm-hmm. um, there are members of ASAP who who exclusively um, look at those sort of phenomena. And yes, there was there was was there two talks over the weekend that looked at UAPs, UFOs. Oh, they did. Oh, cool. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. You didn't mention the lineup. That's why it was, you know, there, uh, I, there was I, there was crypto. There was there was a talk on Bigfoot. Um, mm-hmm. There was a talk on ASAP is much more diverse than than the SPR in that it does encompass. In fact, that's why it was set up because the SPR didn't encompass, you know, this broader range of interests. That's why ASAP uh, exists. So that very much, and it's incorporated within the training as well. You oh, know, a recognition that that um, there are there are different skills required for sitting on top of a mountain, you know, looking at looking at the skies, or creeping through the woodland, or or the beaches, looking for unusual animals. You know, I I on that note, uh, you talked about creeping up the top of the mountain. Uh, 
you know, I don't know how it is in the UK because you're a much smaller country than the US. We actually have designated dock zones where we yes, so do we. Dock yeah. sky area. Dock sky area, which is 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 pretty amazing because uh, if you look at the sky now, in in especially in your urban environments, I mean, there's so much light pollution that you you miss some. You can't even see some of the constellations that we we saw as a kid, and uh, it it's you know it's it's kind of wondering if some of this light pollution has affected some of these UFOs, other words, objects that really aren't UFOs are just because of the light pollution, or are they spotted more? I don't know. It's it's just, it's weird. Well, it would, it would certainly dazzle them if they were up there mm-hmm. looking down. Um, but I, I moved from near a big city um, to a dark sky area where I live now is a designated dark sky area. Mm-hmm. And I can go outside on a clear night. And I remember when I first moved down here, I think it was one of the first times I ever remember actually looking up and seeing the Milky Way. And, wow. and being completely, you know, I was going to say starstruck. It's probably yeah, the see, I remember term. that when I was a kid. So you a lot of that. You know, because I grew up in an urban environment with lots of street lighting and lots of um, other lights on at night, and it does obscure the sky. I mean, you can see the major constellations. You can see the the bright objects, the moon and Venus and you know some of the other planets. Mm-hmm. But I'd never seen the Milky Way or... You know, these, these, and you don't realize how many stars are actually, you know, how bright the night sky is when it's dark, if that makes any sense at all. No, absolutely. Um, but, you know, it, that's it, the one. a mass of stars. That's the one pollution that's actually easily to prevent. I mean, a lot of uh, the pollution, and it's getting worse, by the way, and it's oh, because it is, it is. the LED, the, the white LED lights, and, and they just, you know, they, even like our street lights and everything, they're, they're just lit up and they don't have covers over them, you know, which keeps it from going up. I mean, you don't need the light to go up, really. Uh, well, we do have we, we do have regulations here in the UK, particularly if oh, you, you live in the dark sky area. Um, yeah, about... in the dark sky area. You know, yeah. amber lights are much better as well. It's not just that. We actually have di- um, uh, regulations that cover, you know, uh, the direction of the light. Yeah. And how it, you know, wh- which way it must be aimed, so that you do have to have covers that prevent it from shining upwards and, um, you know, obscuring the sky. But that's a simple thing to do. But you know, you think we would, you know, get our. Well, I mean, the, the other thing that we have here, and this has got nothing to do with being in a dark sky area. This is much more to do with our local authority saving money. Is they <laughs> turn off all, they turn off all the street lighting at midnight? Oh, really? Um. In large areas, um, but not in, you know, predominantly housing areas. But, you know, because there is predominantly less traffic, there's no foot foot traffic, you know, nobody walking. So to save a buck, they turn off all the the street lighting at midnight. Hmm. That's intriguing. But a simple thing to do... Well, it is, and it does apparently save a lot of money, you know, because you think of how many streetlights there are or uh, illuminated signs, and they're extinguished at midnight. 
So, you know, I guess it does save them money, which is, you know, their, their rationale for doing it. So why do you think that we are having so many more reports of UFOs? Is it our technology? Is it just other? Uh, I don't, I don't we know. Are. What's your thoughts? I don't you think don't. we are. Um, okay. I, they've always, if you're, I think we're seeing a lot more in the media. Uh, yes. And that's a cycle. That's a cyclical thing. Um, you know, the UFO groups themselves um, still have about the same number of sightings year on year that they were having a decade ago. There are still people coming forward saying that I saw this um, hovering, flying, floating, whatever it was doing. Um, but it's now very much a, a media darling. You know, it's uh, with the U.S. Congress debating the subject. It's it's become newsworthy, and that's that's piqued the interest of the media. I don't think there are necessarily there are a small number of people who've um, decided to join the investigating UFO UAP investigating community, um, or they have extended the role of their paranormal groups to incorporate that. But I don't think that there is a sudden mass switchover for people. I mean, back in the 1960s, both in the USA and in the UK, there was a very active investigation of the phenomena where people would go out and skywatch. Um, they right. would congregate on hilltops or open spaces. Yes, and they were looking for Russian missiles. Whatever they were doing. <laughs> um, but it was very popular in the 1960s. But now... In fact, quite recently, uh, ASAP were contacted by um, a media representative asking, could they participate in a Skywatch, a UFO, UAP Skywatch? And the it was passed around while we were all scratching our heads thinking, do we know of any coming up? Which extended to, do we know of any at all? Uh, and the realisation that there were none that we that we knew about anywhere in the uk either in the last sort of year or two or being planned or thought about for the future hmm. um i mean it's something in the, in the past um when i was at school um, i was a member of the british ufo research association bufora um which is still bufora bufora i know um and yeah, it was, you know, a tremendously active organization. It's still going today. Um, and they held regular regional sky watches, you know, the independent sort of cells of before and would hold. And I, took, I, I participated in several. Um, the last sky watch, uh, meaningful sky watch, um, must, must have been 30-something years ago. And I, we did a short one here in West Wales about 10 or 15 years ago. But it was more like a social event. Yeah. That's what they you turn know, into nowadays. Well, it, it, it was an add-on to a barbecue because, as I say, we do live in a dark sky area. So yep. it seemed, you know, and all of the people that were, that were attending at least had a passing interest in the subject. You know, they were, they were, so we decided that, you know, at a certain time we'd extinguish all the lights and we'd spend a couple of hours just, 
chilling out looking at the stars. This the first the second first investigation we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we went to the governor's mansion, which is sort of like the Winchester House of the East. Uh, in so many ways, and one of the things that happened across from the house was there was mostly a UFO that had landed. There were a couple of school teachers that were locked in their cars and couldn't get out of their cars. The car had stopped, and so this this gentleman built a uh, Stonehenge there, and he holds these regular sky watches in, uh -huh. the, in the night. So that's what they do. They sit around this Stonehenge thing and watch the skies. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's surprisingly, I was going to say therapeutic almost, because mm -hmm. I remember I, I remember as a kid, I, I, I was born at the beginning of the 1960s, grew up in the 60s through the era of Gemini and Apollo and the space race, etc. Yeah. And I remember, I remember um, every week I would get a cutting from uh, one of the, the national newspapers. And it was a short column um, that detailed the passing of uh, satellites that you could see with the naked eye um, as they went overhead. Oh, that's and, cool. And they would publish this list every single week on a Saturday, and I'd cut it out and I'd, you know, compare it to the weather and whether I was up, you know, whether it was early enough for me to still be up, allowed up with school the next day. Uh, and I would strain at the window to try and catch a glimpse of the satellite. But you were talking, you know, the list was 10 satellites long. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the last time I we took the boys out star watching uh, a couple of years ago when they were smaller, they they lay out on the you know, in the garden and just and we were seeing 10 satellites. Well, one a minute. Mm hmm. Um, constantly, you know, so the the amount of stuff up there, it's hardly surprising that people are noticing more. Um, you know, you cannot look at the sky for more than five minutes and you will see several satellites. Mm -hmm. um, and occasionally, satellites, aircraft of all sorts and makes well, designs. we live under a flight path, so yeah, yeah. Um, so you, you've got a lot of things that are up in the sky and now. You've got, you know, if you get lucky, you get the space station yep. um, or one of the launches, because when they, they set off from uh, Cape Canaveral, they they head our way. Um, you know, they fly up and over the Atlantic and many of them cross the UK in the southwest corner where we are. And they're still, you know, powered by their rocket motors. So we do get the occasional rocket launch. So there is there is a lot to see, and a lot to confuse people as well. An awful lot. To, I remember when Starlink, the um, yeah, wasn't that cool? Starlink. I mean, it's incredibly cool. But if you didn't know anything about it, you saw this train of lights going through the sky, one after the other, after the other, after the other, seemingly endlessly, all at regular intervals. It's you know. If you didn't know it was SpaceX and the uh, Starlink, you would go, I've just seen a whole train load of UFOs flying over. And in fact, our, our newspapers were full of stories and social media was, I, I, you, don't, you won't believe what I saw last night, 30 
30 at least UFOs all went over in convoy. And then people go, no, that was just Starlink, blah, blah, blah. But I remember as a kid, because there was a, because of the space race stuff, there was a kind of interest in UFOs. We had Skylab back then. You did have Skylab. Yeah. And the Russians had their Mir. Yeah, Mir. The space station. Um, But I always always think, you know, I was thinking, if these aliens don't want to be seen, why did they fly at night and then put lights on? I know, huh? <laughs> you know, it was like one of those questions that I was about seven or eight years old. I think I, it was the only time that I've actually seen what I think may be a genuine UFO because it was just so very different than the aeroplanes and the things that, you know, we, you could see back then. Um, but I remember thinking to myself, reading Arthur C. Clarke and reading, um, you know, other books like a George Adamski, um, thinking, well, if you want to hide yourself by coming out at night, why do you then put bright coloured lights all over all over your craft? It's like you might as well get a loud hailer and shout, hey, wake up, we're here. Never, it never struck me as like a sensible thing to do. Well, maybe they don't have any sense. Maybe they don't. It's the same when it when it became the flying black triangles. They always had three very bright white lights, didn't they? Yep. To make sure that everybody knew it was a big black triangle. Yeah, it is kind of amusing in a way. Well, we, it's, I mean, one, of those, one of those mysteries we'll never know. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I was, people just go, oh, yeah, I, I saw three lights and there was a big giant black triangle between them and it blotted out all the stars. And my mind didn't work the same way. My mind went, why have they got three very bright lights on? Because that makes no sense at all to me. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be seen, don't put lights on. Exactly. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, ASAP is doing a good... Uh, you mentioned, that's the other question I did want to ask you too, because you mentioned uh, about different training and, and, and mm-hmm. how some groups incorporated UFOs in it. I mean, yeah. is, is, that a, a, is that a wise well, it choice? Comes down to, it comes down to the individual groups themselves. Um, you know, they have to... Um, do what they do they think best i mean there are people that are interested in ghosts exclusively um there are those who are interested in the loch ness monster there are those whose interest is broader they're interested in you know a little bit of each it's kind of like a buffet um yeah but you know know, we're still saying uh you know master uh, of all trades jack of uh, jack of all trades jack of all trades master of none isn't that what happens that's exactly well that's why i uh 20 30 something years ago decided ghosts were the things that interested me most in haunted houses and whilst i did have an interest in other oddities like the loch ness monster and ufos because i they would very much have to become um, a secondary, you know, I wouldn't give right. them 
the you know I wanted to be a jack of what well, a master of one trade mm-hmm. and so I decided that was the thing that interested me most and that's the thing I would focus on right I know I remember when I when we were doing these radio shows and I would bring on people from different areas and you say well that's really not you know it's ghost chronicles I said yeah but you know it's not the same as you have in a group because you know radio is a little different we're just you know entertaining people uh with ideas from all, all different walks of life not necessarily our expertise and i i think that's the best mix you know because i and it's the same with the asset people criticize the asset uh, facebook page and social media for introducing fairies and orbs and you know what they're really saying is you know they 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 put in a a link to a press cutting or a news article or a video um, that isn't related, you know, necessarily to, but they, and then you get people complaining, uh, saying, well, I thought ASAP was a serious scientific organization and here they are are putting articles about fairies and goblins and black dogs and all manner of other weird stuff. Um, But it sparks debate and there's, in some areas, there's quite a lot of crossover. I mean, if you look at, for example, um, alien abduction, there is a lot of similarity there to the old hag syndrome um, that yep. is reported in association with um, hauntings. You know, this incubus and succubus and um, paralysis, nocturnal paralysis. So there is, you know, I think, I think if you, and that's why I still have a sort of passing, more than a passing interest in, you know, ufology and the Loch Ness Monster, because there are some elements where there is a crossover. And I'm not going to shut the door to knowledge. You know, a breakthrough might come from an associated area. Yeah. I mean, were we talking when we had Dr. Uh, Ann Winsper on the show about uh, ghosts uh, being uh, mm-hmm. time slips, basically, or, mm-hmm. or even people from the future ba- or the past? Uh, time travelers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, 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 you know, Anne and I have spoken many times, and she said on the show, if you look at the, uh, the criteria for a time slip and you look at the criteria for a haunting, they are remarkably similar all the way in all of, you know, tick all the boxes. They've got them both. Um, so how do you tell whether it, you know, you might say, oh, I, I don't, I'm not interested in ghosts. I'm going to investigate time slips. Oh, I, I think time slips for silly. You know, I'm only going to investigate hauntings. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the, the, the minutiae and scratch through the detail, you realize actually, 90% of it is the same phenomena that's being reported. I remember so, when I first started the show, I interviewed uh, different groups. I used to have a ghost hunter spotlight, basically it was called. And several times during that early years, we would have people that came in and would experience what we consider a time slip during yeah. their investigations. Yeah. And you've got missing time, of course, in many UFO reports, in the particular oh, abduction accounts. So, again, there, there's a crossover into ufology. And interestingly, very few parapsychologists have ever looked at ufology. Um, There are a couple of exceptions, um, but 
by and large, parapsychology hasn't really moved into uh, considering abductees or UFO reports, UAP reports. Um, there ha as I said, there has been a couple of exceptions to that. Um, there was Parapsychology and the UFO, which was published about 30, 40 years ago, but it's never been picked up since. Um, by, I think that was Manfred Kassnerer, uh wrote that book. So, you know, we can learn from one another. And when you're looking at methods of training people to investigate, it's interesting that the, uh, the basics are remarkably similar too. Because if it's a UAP that landed in the back garden or a ghost that manifested on the stair, by the time the investigator arrives, usually it's gone and you're left looking for, you have an account from a witness and then you're left to look for the evidence to support the account. You know, burnt scorched rings in the, in the, in the front lawn or evidence of the apparition photographic or, or audio. So yeah. there are remarkable similarities. Yeah, so that's, yeah, it's, uh, it's intriguing. Uh, do you think the UFOologists are more organized than the ghost people? Um, I think there's less of them, so it's easier to organize them. They all seem, they, they seem to fight, fight and squabble just as much on social media. Uh, really? Because you've got you've got very distinct camps. You have those who believe in uh, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, mm -hmm. and you've got those who believe are in the uh, I think they call it the intraterrestrial that these are. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, okay. and then you've got another camp who believes it's all top secret military technology, mm -hmm. um, and they do bicker and they do fight. You know every bit as much as the the ghost hunters um do you know people are people wherever they are but there is there is a lot you know there is far fewer ufo groups around the uk um and so the community tends to be smaller and they don't seem to whilst they may bicker there isn't the same amount of drama yeah the um you know, I, I especially now, like I said, the, the UFOs seem to be the hot topic because now we have uh, and, uh, Nick Pope and that panel of the guy with the big hair and uh, the Hyconian. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they, there seems to be a lot of, you know, uh, interest of getting people together to discuss the project. That's well, I mean. Uh... Part of that, you point the finger of blame straight at the U.S. Congress and the fact that they're holding, you know, committees of inquiry into UFOs, UAPs, and what did the government know, and what's the government got hiding, and you know, have they really got craft um, squirreled away in secret bases somewhere? That they one so. Well, so I've heard. So I've heard. Anyway, we've got to wrap it up. So. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I want to see how, give a shout out to those who showed up in the chat room for the first time. We had a bunch of new people there. We we uh, unfortunately I missed them, but I I do want to give a shout out to them. They probably uh, saw you at the ASAP conference and wanted to oh, listen, listen to the show. 
So we thank them for dropping in. Uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Parson and Ryan Kohler. We're here on Tojanet Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Memorack Street, Thuin, Massachusetts, the Gallant Messier Family Lodge, Route 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio page uh, on Patreon. So if you like Ghost Chronicles, become a member. I think it's three bucks a month in the U.S. It's cheaper from the UK because because our coffee is cheaper is it really yeah we haven't got pumpkin spiced lattes oh yeah it's that time it's that time of year you know that's how we know the seasons I saw the adverts and and it's spirit it's it's spirit quest season anyway all right so stay tuned for Ghost Chronicles Next Generation and uh, we'll see you next week Steve you will indeed. And okay, I, will, I, I will be the father-in-law by next week. Yeah, <laughs> I just I just became it, so welcome to the club. Good night, everyone. Good night. Stay tight. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.